Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Immigration Nation, the podcast. Um, I'm your host today, Klein, and we are here with Fernando. He is based out of San Antonio, and we are so excited to have him here today. We're discussing citizenship, U.S. citizenship, what it is, who needs it, what are the requirements, everything that goes into it. It seems very entry-level um, kind of a topic, and we're surprised we haven't covered it yet. So we're very excited to have him here today um, explaining all the ins and outs of it. So, Fernando, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, about um, your law firm, and what got you into immigration law. Yes, so um, uh, my name is Fernando Gide. Uh, our law firm is called Gide Hobbs PLLC. We're located here in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I have been practicing now immigration law for a little over 10 years, and our firm has been open for about eight years. And our, our firm does several things. We do immigration, we do criminal law, we do family law and personal injury. I primarily uh, work on immigration, but I do uh, work on other areas of practice. But at the end of the day, uh, it's something that I feel comfortable and I love the feeling of being able to help a client uh, realize their ultimate goal and ultimate dream. Let's just jump right into it. Um, not everyone's goal when they come to see you as a client is to necessarily become a U.S. citizen. But for those who are wanting to pursue citizenship, what are some different ways that they are able to enter the country legally? Okay. Um, well, the first thing that a lot of people don't realize is that um, citizenship has several steps to it. Um, the very first step is finding a way to enter the com uh, country legally, as you said. So that can be in many forms. It can be through an employment visa. It could be through uh, a family visa. It could be through parole, humanitarian parole in certain instances. Uh, it could be fiance visas. Um, but there are several ways to potentially enter the country. And even a tourist visa uh, can function to eventually gain your citizenship. Um, but a lot of times when people are coming into the country, uh, their first goal and their first requirement that they will need is to get the residency. And so our firm helps that situation, depending on if they're already in the country or if they're looking to enter the country. Um, usually uh, it's divided into two different sectors. And one is the employment sector and one is the family-based sector. Um, for the next question, um, what are some of the eligibility requirements to become a U.S. citizen? And do they differ based on the type of visa that you have to enter the country? So um, as far as the eligibility requirements to be able to become a U.S. citizen, the first requirement is you have to be a resident. Um, so you have to be a lawful permanent resident before you are able to petition for your citizenship. And that has one of two paths, typically. So if you are, if your spouse petitioned for you, um, three years after that, if you're still married to your spouse, you're eligible to petition for your citizenship. Um, and at that point, it usually takes about a year long to be able to get your citizenship. Um, but uh, at the end of that, you come out, you get a certificate of citizenship, you can now apply for your passport, you can um, continue doing everything that you were doing as a resident, but you no longer have to worry about renewing your residency every couple of years or every 10 years, depending on the situation. Um, the other aspect of that is that when we're talking about um, the citizenship requirements, there's also a five-year rule. So if you don't qualify under your spouse for the three-year rule, anybody who is a resident can apply after five years. So that leaves that door open for a lot of people um, to apply. Now, that's requirement number one. 
you need to be a resident uh, for a particular amount of years, whether it's three years or five years. Requirement number two is a good moral character requirement. Over the, the previous five years prior to applying for your citizenship, they want to show that you've been a person of good moral character. Now, that could be a subjective term um, in the sense that it is not based on any particular set of circumstances. It's based on uh, criminal history. It's based on paying uh, your taxes in certain cases. It's based on child support in certain cases. Um, there's multiple factors to it. But at the end of the day, what they're looking is uh, to make sure that you aren't uh, someone who's causing trouble, so to say, right? Right. And so that's uh, one of the biggest requirements. Uh, now, that being said, uh, in the typical case, someone who stayed out of trouble, someone who pays, you know, is a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen, um, and I should say, I'm sorry, resident at that point, um, they're able to apply and they can move forward on that. Um, there's also, uh, depending on your age and the amount of time that you've been a resident, there's a civics uh, and language exam. And that's uh, what it comes down to is that you're given a set of 100 questions. You only have to, you're only asked on 10 of those questions and you have to answer uh, six of them correctly. If you pass that and it's a civics and government exam, uh, the questions are very straightforward. And that's done in two two forms. Number one, the entire interview usually uh, is is done in English, and so you're conversing with them. If you're able to get through the interview, that ends up being uh, you passing that part of it. But there's also reading and writing portion. So they ask you uh, they ask you to read something on a tablet. Usually, you're supposed to read that and answer that. Um, and then they also ask you to answer questions uh, in English and writing them forms. So it's language and civics exam, uh, civics and government exam um, is all written and oral, and that's what they have to pass. Um, finally, uh, there's uh, continuous uh, presence requirements. Um, the physical presence is the 30 months that you have to be in the United States on a typical five-year case. Um, the continuous presence is you're showing that you are a U.S. resident for the last five years. And that means that even though you may have taken trips outside of the United States and so forth, um, that you were still residing in the United States. Your main house was in the United States. Um, you're paying taxes here in the United States um, and working in the United States. That's what they're looking at. Um, but that's the typical on the, on the five year plan. And that's what they're looking at when they're um, uh, for the uh, naturalization and getting your citizenship. Um but that's what one of the requirements. Now, you spoke earlier about uh, what it takes uh, for the visas, right? And so one of the issues that uh, people get confused on um, when they come into my office is they come in and they say, I want to be a citizen. My first question is always, well, are you a resident already? And because you cannot become a citizen without being a resident. And so um, usually when they're coming in with visas or when they're looking to obtain a visa to be able to become a resident, um, I have to go through the steps of that. And and as I previously mentioned, there's several types of visas, but let's talk about just the family-based ones. And yeah. so um, this is the instance where maybe um, husband or wife comes in and says, I want a petition for my spouse. And so if they're already in the United States and they had a legal entry, meaning they came in, whether through a work visa, a tourist visa, or another type of visa um, that generally qualifies them, then we start what's called an adjustment status process. So we adjust their status from whatever visa they had, tourist visa, work visa, anything like that, to that of a permanent resident. And so that's usually one of the steps we take. And there, the key requirement for uh, an adjustment here in the United States is to make sure they had a lawful entry. And that can mean either they entered with the visa or they were paroled into the country. Um, 
in some instances, they say, I just got married in another country and I want to bring my, my husband or wife over. In that instance, you go through a process called consular process where you do a petition for them, the I-130 petition, and that's a petition for an a, a alien relative. And once that is approved, um, the documents are sent over to the U.S. consulate in the country that they're residing, and they go through an interview process there. And upon approval, they come in with a temporary um, resident, uh, residency visa stamp, but usually within two, three weeks, they have their uh, lawful permanent resident card and are able to reside in the United States. Um, but again, for citizenship, you need to be a resident. Right. <laughs> Honestly, it sounds pretty straightforward when you put it that way. It seems like there's a very straightforward path, but I'm sure the paths can vary. But for the most part, it seems pretty bite-sized when you break it down like that. So I'm sure your clients appreciate it when they hear all the different steps on the typical plan as well. Um, so if you could just give like a quick range of how long it takes, I mean, I know we said like a typical five-year plan, but is that the shortest amount of time that it could take to like maybe 15, 20 years? So a, a lot of it is based on USCIS. So, um, and their processing times and also the processing times in the U S consulate. And if you're doing a consular process, so if you're generally speaking about what, an average time to become a U.S. citizen um, from start to finish, meaning you go through the residency requirements and everything. Um, the average time, I would say, for uh, husband and wife, for spousal visas, would be about five years, assuming they uh, apply for everything on time and at the moment that they're supposed to and that they learn English, because as we said, English is one of the requirements. Um, there are exceptions, which I can get to in, the, in a little bit regarding the English requirements, but Generally speaking, if someone is really motivated to get their citizenship as soon as possible, um, it's about a five-year time. And the reason why is the consular process takes anywhere between a year and a year and a half at what we're seeing right now from the USCIS. Um, and then once they're a resident, they can apply um, at the, at the uh, I'm sorry, at the three-year mark. And that usually takes about another year to process. So assuming everything goes fast, it's about a five-year process. Now, um, sometimes things happen. Um, for example, husband and wife get divorced and so forth. And at that point, it pushes the timeline to the five-year requirement. And then at that point, you're looking at around seven years total to do that. And so generally speaking, if someone's motivated, wants to get everything as soon as possible and become a citizen as soon as possible, learn English, be able to um, pass the, the, the exams that they perform and everything, uh, you're looking at about anywhere between five to seven years. Um, now, in my case, what I do see is that a lot of times the biggest holdup is the English language portion. And so learning it to a comfortable aspect, depending on where you live, is uh, what usually uh, holds people up from taking or from applying for citizenship. But, uh, you know, you get motivated people and they will do everything. To, 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 they will learn English quickly. They'll make sure they stay out of trouble and they'll move forward pretty quickly. Yeah. Wow. So, so what are we looking at in terms of a financial commitment for citizenship? Bare minimum, you're looking around anywhere between $1,000 to $2,000 to start off the process. And then down the line, you're looking at an extra $1,500 um, that you're paying. And that's just in government fees. It could be various fees associated throughout if, if for whatever reason something happens and you need a waiver or anything like that. But those are the government fees. 
Now, attorney's fees, they range. Um, I mean, there's a very big range. So I'd be lying if I told you that I knew the range at that point. Yeah, um, sure. But it's something that um, each attorney varies as to what they want to charge. And um, they charge in various processes. And so attorneys work in different ways. Some have a payment plan. Some charge everything up front. Some divide it up into steps. For example, our firm divides it up into steps um, to make sure you clear each individual step first before you are paying for the next one. Um, and that usually gives our clients a sense of, of comfort, knowing that um, we, you know, we don't charge them until we have completed each individual step in that, in that particular circumstance. But those range. Um, but I mean, you're, like I said, um, just to start off, it could be a thousand dollars. But the whole process, usually, you're looking at about five to six thousand dollars in total for just government fees sure yeah so do you have any client success stories you'd like to share with us yeah and and um this was something i was thinking about a lot but i think the one that i am most proud of um we had a client um whose sister had gotten had come into the united states had gotten the advice of several attorneys as to how to proceed forward um, ultimately, there was always a question of, of what happened um, when she was younger. You know, when she was younger, unfortunately, she ran into some trouble with immigration. She was under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. um, but in doing so, um, she kind of had an immigration record. And so it complicated her case. Nothing that worried me. But the biggest complication in the case was that at one point, um, this client had asked for a... Um, as for a license and was able to get a license previously. Now, um, that particular state she was in automatically registered people to vote, which you're not allowed to do as a resident. You're not allowed to vote until you're a citizen. Uh -huh. She caught wind of this very quickly and, and, and said, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have any legal status, so I can't vote. And it was rescinded very quickly on that. And it wasn't her choice. It wasn't a check the box if you want to be able to vote or anything like that. But, and so ultimately that was one of our saving graces, but, um, she had gone to several attorneys and all of them had said, no, we can't do this. We can't do this. This is going to be a big problem. And so we did the petition along with several waivers. You know, we had, uh, we wanted to make sure that she was covered on all fronts. And um, it was a conversation we had with her and where we said, look, we either petition for everything and ask for a waiver of these circumstances, or you're always going to be living in that limbo without knowing that. And, I, I am proud of her because she took a big risk to move forward because the end game of that, if we had failed at that point, whether she uh, possibly could have been in immigration proceedings and going through the whole removal and deportation. And that's oh, something wow. that she didn't want to. And um, she took a big risk and she trusted in us and that. And, that, and then we got um, for a case that complicated, we got one of the fastest decisions I've ever heard. Wow. And we got within four months, her lawful permanent residence status and, um, she gave me a call, um, during the process I had given her, uh, obviously she has her number, but she gave us a call and FaceTime us eventually where she was with her mom that she hadn't seen in 26 years. And so that was a very uh, touching story because she was able to go back. Um, and they were crying and everything. Of course, I got tears in my eyes as well, you know, seeing this, but she had been told by several people, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do this. And after it, it was a process that took us a total of four years. And the reason it took us four years is that we were heavily researching, heavily petitioning documents, 
sending documents to all the states that she had lived in, um, trying to get a full record of everything, being prepared for anything that came our way, because like I said, it was a complicated case to begin with, but ultimately it was uh, within four months, we got the approval and I've, I've gotten fast approvals before, not based on the fact that I, you know, once you submit a document, it's USCIS's choice, how right. fast they want to approve it. Um, but this one came faster than I expected. And I was happy to see that on, on something that I expected year and a half to two years of approval. Um, we got it within four months. So that tells me we did a good job in preparing everything and sent it off and, and she was extremely happy to do that. And so her and her husband um, ultimately were able to get um, adjustment status, become residents. Now she's, uh, this happened within the last year. So she's four years away for, from applying for her citizenship, but she's already looking forward to that. So. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's such an incredible story. Mm -hmm. No, it was a great time. I, we were really happy about that situation. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet you were so happy when you got that FaceTime call. I probably would have cried, too, if I was in the room. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was exciting. It was exciting. So awesome. we're just looking forward to the next step. And, and you know, it's a it's an open case because mm -hmm. of the just the personal connection we have with her. And then um, on top of that, because of some of the prior issues, we're just monitoring the, the legal like the I should say the case law behind it to make sure that it stays because. Her issue is kind of a heavily contested issue, mm. and depending on—I mean, honestly—it it depends on what the judge had for lunch that day. <laughs> that can change completely, yeah. and so we're always monitoring it to see if um, our ultimate end goal of her becoming a citizen is going to to materialize at that point. Right, so, and we yeah. know how finicky U.S. immigration law can be. I mean, USCIS puts out new updates every single day, mm. so yes. That that, that's so one of the challenges in immigration law that um, depending on the attorney general, depending on the administration, depending on uh, the circuit you live in, uh, it's constantly changing. And so so true. that's something we're always living into. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we log off? Yes. Um, so uh, some people, uh, I wanted to share this earlier, uh, some people sometimes um, never are able to fulfill the language requirement. Um, but there is are some specialized rules. Um, they're called uh, English language exemptions. They still have to do an exam, but they do it in the country. I'm not, not country, I'm sorry, in the language of their choosing. Mm -hmm. And that's um, to start off, it's if you're uh, age 50 and have been a tw uh, resident for 20 years, you can do the exam in your language. Um, if you're age 55 and have been a resident for 15 years, you can do it in language of your choosing. And then there's an, uh, an exemption also for age 65. Um, there's uh, uh, an exam that's a little bit um, simplified, I should say. And so that's uh, an age requirement more so than anything else. But they, it's a simplified e exam and they're able to uh, still do it in the language of their choosing. But um, not every case requires a, la a language, um, but a vast majority, again, if they're motivated and they want to move quick, most of the time you're going to require uh, knowledge of the and being able to read, write and speak the English, English language. Right. But it's great to know those exceptions just in case mm -hmm. they ever come up. Um, yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're so glad to have you on the show. No, thank you very much. This podcast has been prepared for general information purposes only and is not legal advice. This information is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney client relationship. 